Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Amen and greetings this morning. Good to see you all. We had a wonderful, tremendous weekend of being in the Word. And as we have had the opportunity to host and present our first Made to Minister conference here at Salem Heights Church, we had so many of you participate. We're so thankful. It was wonderful to see this auditorium filled with believers from other ministries. And we didn't realize that it was going to actually be an international conference. So apparently we had folks from Australia. We had folks from uh, Latvia. Russia, and then uh, from Texas, which I, is almost uh, another country, and, and then we incorrectly introduced Dr. John Henderson as still being from Texas, which is where I met him about five years ago, but uh, Dr. John Henderson, um, he's a writer. He, has a, he is the one that wrote our curriculum that we study here for certification as biblical counselors. He is a husband, he is a a dad, but as I've gotten to not just hear him speak, but interact with him, he's a man of the word, he's a shepherd at heart. And so now, not from Texas, but from Alexandria, Virginia, a historical city, uh, I would love for you to uh, welcome Dr. John Henderson. And uh, this evening, during the third service, 5 o'clock, we're going to uh, do a little discussion. We're going to talk about pain and suffering and the role that that plays in counseling. Talk a little bit about how we are physically embodied souls that are also relationally embattled and uh, also spiritually we know that we struggle. So we're going to talk about those things. Invite you to come back at 5 o'clock. We're going to be up in the chapel. Let's fill it up. It's going to be a real practical conversation. And uh, right now, John, I just want to pray for you and just let you get started. Lord, we come to you. We thank you. We thank you for John, his wife, Ruth. Thank you for his ministry and testimony and the way that he impacts us here in the valley, here in Oregon, uh, even from far away. That um, So uh, some of his teaching and, and the way that he has presented it in writing Uh, has so impacted our ministry and the people of this valley. And we thank you for this morning and pray that he just boldly shares from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning. Such a joy to be here with you, doing some of my favorite things, and that is to open the word of God together and to see and behold from Scripture what we just sang of, the greatness of our God and the greatness of our Savior. So turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 6, a little more than halfway through your Bible. Uh, one of the prophets, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, then Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. We'll be in chapter 6, our trustworthy deliverer. You know, many of us can probably remember those times as children, those moments when our fathers or mothers sort of invited us, called us to let go of something that we found safe and secure in order to sort of fall into their arms, to let go of the wall of the swimming pool and just go to them, to jump off the wall into their arms, to leave that ledge that feels so firm and strong, trusting that they'll catch us, 
before we hit the ground. And they say things to us like, don't fear, I'll catch you. Don't worry, I, I will not let you go under. I won't let you hit the ground. I've got you. It's part of growing up, learning not to be ruled by fears, learning to entrust ourselves to a trustworthy person. And if our earthly parents, fallen, flawed, who do drop people, were inviting us to such trust and who we were willing to give it to, then how much more our Heavenly Father, who never drops anyone, never loses anyone, how much more should we entrust ourselves to Him, the one who deserves our trust? And so I want to begin this morning with this question, do you trust your Heavenly Father? Even if your earthly parents were awful, do you trust Jesus Christ? Each day, are you entrusting yourself to Him? When following Him becomes tangibly and physically or blatantly painful, even life-threatening, are you ready to entrust your soul, even your earthly life, your future, to His faithful care? That's what Daniel 6 is about. That in Daniel 6, we're going to read the story of God's prophet, Daniel, refusing to stop worshiping Yahweh, his God, under the threat of death. Daniel, who is taken as a child into exile with others from Israel into Babylon, is going to lose his family, lose his friends, probably orphaned. We don't know, but he's going to be taken away as a boy to a faraway land. And he's going to grow up. And now at this stage in his life, it's going to be said to him, in one way or the other, stop bowing down to this God of yours or be torn to pieces by lions. And so we might believe that a God who loves us just wouldn't allow that kind of thing to happen. That a God who loves us would never put us into situations where we're in harm's way, where we might even lose our lives. But we must realize that Scripture, the whole counsel of God, is constant and clear that He loves us and He does ordain our afflictions. He cares for us and He will author a life for us that at some point will involve death. That we are guaranteed. But that He always delivers at the right time, always in the right way, always for the right reasons, rarely for our reasons. That's why we have to ask ourselves, do I trust my Heavenly Father? This brings us to the main point for this morning, and that is even under the pain of death, we must entrust ourselves to God and serve Him continually, for He is a trustworthy Deliverer. Even under pain of death, we must entrust ourselves to God and serve Him continually, for He is a trustworthy Deliverer. Verse 1, chapter 6. It pleased Darius, who's now the king of Medo-Persia, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
And you kind of have to know the previous chapters of Daniel to realize and to see just sort of the blatant providence of God that is sort of blazing in verses 1 and 2 here. So over all the governments of the kingdom, Darius placed three high officials and Daniel was one. That's actually very strange. Because at the end of chapter 5, Daniel was given third place in the Babylonian kingdom, the previous kingdom, because he interpreted this writing on the wall for Belshazzar. And that very night, that king died. Medo-Persia walked in, conquered Babylon. They conquered a country, a nation, a kingdom of which Daniel ranked third. Why didn't they kill him? Even more, why would they make him a high official of this new kingdom? That's strange. That's providence. And I think there's two things we're even meant to see in that. The first is, the Lord preserved Daniel's life and position as a testimony to God's providence and power and purpose. Though an entirely new kingdom is rising to prominence in the world, the same God is running the show. It's a theme of the book of Daniel. Everything is new and yet nothing's new. All at the same time. Same song, new verse. Listen to Daniel 4, verse 34. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. That's just the drumbeat of the book of Daniel. From the Lord's point of view, nothing that actually matters has changed. Chapter 5, verse 21, the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, sets it over whomever, or sets over it whomever he will. And so the endurance of Daniel from Israel and Judah and then to Babylon and then to Medo-Persia and through him, God is just illustrating that it's his kingdom that endures from generation to generation, that he decides who occupies whatever positions in all the other little puny kingdoms of the world, which is why the phrase superpower is clearly a human relative phrase, because there's only one superpower. And so to worry about what's the next superpower on the world stage, well, it'll be the same one that's always been, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the superpower that is forever. So we have to remember this during our time on earth, that circumstances change, God doesn't. The word of our God will stand forever, Isaiah 48. And so God is just proving even through the life of Daniel that it's his power and promises and purposes that don't fail. The second thing I think he's showing us is that his prophets, his people, do not truly belong to any earthly kingdom. But of all the kingdoms that come and go throughout the story, the prophet Daniel belongs to none of them. Though he served Babylon, he's not of Babylon. He has no earthly home. And if you were to even just read the whole book of Daniel, notice how, how at ease he is in all these different kingdoms that come and go, and yet not at home in any of them. Because he's completely set apart. In chapter 1, he's willing to learn the language and the history and the culture of Babylon in order to serve that kingdom where God's put him. But he's not going to eat their food sacrificed to idols. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're willing to serve faithfully and cheerfully in Babylon, but they're not going to bow down to their idols. They'd rather burn to death than do that. Belshazzar offered Daniel in chapter 5 power and wealth. And Daniel said, keep it, but I will interpret the writing on the wall for you. That's the posture of God's people. He just slides into this role of leadership in the Medo-Persian Empire, 
not because he's politically savvy, not because he's willing to compromise, but because he is set apart and unwilling to compromise. He is effective because he is distinctive. We need to never buy into the lie that in order to influence this world that we live in, we have to be like the world. No, God chooses to use the distinctiveness of his people to influence the world in which we live, not our compromise. It's a message God is sending through Daniel. So do you feel at odds with the surrounding world? Does this feel like not your home? Like you're far from home? I hope so. I pray so. If it doesn't, I pray that will change today. That you will feel out, more out of place in this world and yet more committed to loving it. More waiting for the coming of your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ and yet at the same time more willing to be faithful to the kingdom where you've been planted for the sake of Jesus Christ. So verse 3, it says, Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. That's God doing that. Because of his excellent spirit in him. That's God who gave it to him. And verse 4 and 5 explains what he means, that all these other officials try to find some dishonesty in his work, some fault in his work, some deceptiveness in his work, anything to show that, okay, this is not a guy who's faithful to this king. They can't find anything. So like, you know what? I think the only thing we can do is find some kind of law to make the worship of his God a crime. We've got to criminalize the worship of Daniel's God. That's the only way we're going to get him because God's made him faithful in everything. So we've got to make worshiping this God evil. So that's what they do in verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. I'm going to butter him up. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed. This is a massive conspiracy. That the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or, or man for 30 days except you, O king. Man, they're going to deify him to ensnare Daniel. And enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any other god or man for 30 days except you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions. This ancient form of execution that was meant to terrify. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the documents, that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Could be jealousy, could be hatred, could be fear from all these other leaders, but no matter what, they want Daniel gone, preferably dead. And notice their cunning. They're going to act as if they're acting on behalf of King Darius, acting on behalf of this king and his kingdom, even though not realizing that they're actually moving the kingdom into great danger, where they're outlawing the worship of the only real God. Yet they're going to present it in a very cunning way, and so I don't think the king really understands what's happening. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. So he doesn't close them, keeps them open. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So Scripture is so careful here to point out when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to pray as he had done previously. In other words, in his mind, nothing has fundamentally changed. You could say, you know, Daniel, all you have to do is just put this devotion to God thing on hold just 30 days. 
Just take 30 days off praying. He can't wait 30 minutes. And he just goes home and just starts praying. But then notice his prayers are full of thanksgiving. His life is now on the line and he gives thanks. The men in power are plotting his destruction and he gives thanks. Worshiping God is now illegal and he gives thanks. Why? Well, his God still reigns. He knows this. The love of God for him still abounds. Like the Apostle Paul would say, Daniel knows, Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Daniel knows that. Sheep to be slaughtered. That's what we're called. Put that on your business card, right? (laughs) God loves us. And nothing will separate us from His love. And often He will use tribulation in your life to prove it. He will use suffering in your life. He will use the pains of death in your life to prove that nothing separates you from his love. I heard a pastor say once that none of these things will separate us from the love of God, but the love of God does not necessarily separate us from these things. That He has a way of using them to prove his love for us. So Daniel just talks to his heavenly father. He worships, he adores, he pleads, he trusts. And while he's doing this, his enemies are watching and recording, and compiling evidence for his destruction. We have another just kind of sweet testimony from Daniel here that he's not marching up and down the street screaming, you're all going to hell. He's not posting YouTube videos against the king. He's not sort of hiring attorneys and lawyers to plot, counter this or counter that. He's just going about his normal life, which is full of devotion to the Lord. He just keeps serving him, and it's noticeable. And so think about even the roller coaster ride for Daniel through even the whole book of Daniel. The the first chapter begins with the fall of Jerusalem and Daniel being taken captive to Babylon as a boy, his family taken away. Then he rises to a position of prominence in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. Then he is forgotten and falls into a place of obscurity a couple of chapters later. Well, then he interprets the writing on the wall in chapter 5 and is offered third place in the kingdom of Babylon, but only for a night. Then Medo-Persia comes, conquers Babylon, and now he's appointed as a leader in Medo-Persia, and then now he's threatened with death and about to go to the lion's den. I mean, up, down, up, down. Just imagine how miserable life would be for Daniel if he demanded control. Consider how anxious he would be, how frustrated, how bitter, how depressed. Because in one moment he's esteemed, and in the next moment he's reviled. In one moment he's safe, then he's threatened. In one moment he's exalted, then he's humble. Are we ready for that kind of life of following Jesus? Which is not in our control. And there'll be high days and low days. There'll be things go well, things go badly. But there's one person that doesn't move. 
that doesn't change, whose promises endure? Are we tethered to those? Verse 12, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O, o king, did you not sign an injunction? I'm just going to remind him of what he did. That anyone who makes petition to any god or man for within 30 days except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, O king, or no, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes shall be changed. They're going to just keep at him. And I think now the king knows he's been duped. But there's no way out. And I think that it's interesting, even in ancient Medo-Persia, the king was under law. So when these laws are made, he can't just get out of it. I think he's spending the whole day trying to find a legal way out of this for Daniel. And he can't find any legal way out. You know why I think he can't find any legal way out? God doesn't give any legal way out. God doesn't want a legal way out. Because God is the one orchestrating all of this. Because do we not believe that the, the God in heaven, our Heavenly Father, can prevent all this? Can find a loophole? Can get him out of this situation? But we need to realize God is the one who's orchestrating them. Why would he do that? Well, could it be to reveal himself? To make his power and trustworthiness known? To make a public spectacle of his glory? So that his children throughout all of human history can look back upon this story and see that in every circumstance his promise does not fail. Because Daniel's life is not just about Daniel. And you realize that even for you. That your life is not just about you. And so what the Lord wants to use you and through you make a public spectacle of his power, of his glory. Verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Even the king knew that about him. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with his, the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions, meaning no entertainment, were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The king doesn't know this God of Daniel personally, but he knows Daniel serves him continually, and he hopes this God, whomever he may be, would deliver Daniel. It says Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, this form of ancient execution, this very gruesome one that is meant to strike fear into the hearts of the king's enemies. Well, the Lord will use that to arouse fear of someone else by night's end. Verse 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. 
And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Found blameless, no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. I think that's the point of the whole story. It isn't that Daniel is a sinless man. It's that his faith is in Yahweh and Yahweh's provision of righteousness, Yahweh's provision of a deliverer. And it's that faith in God's promises that God receives as righteousness and declares him righteous. Not a scratch on him. Not a claw torn through a single part of his clothing. That Lions use time and time again to tear enemies to shreds. They don't even drool on Daniel. There's not even a drool mark. Their mouths are shut all night. He says, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. That's how he explains it. That angel could be the very son of God. Or it could be just a member of the angelic host. But I think either way, the message is the same. The Lord stood with me. The Lord helped me. The Lord delivered me. The name Daniel means God is my judge. And God found Daniel Daniel blameless before him, innocent of wrongdoing before the king, even though he disobeyed a law. He actually broke the law. And God said, you're blameless. The grace of God through faith in God delivered him. So these are real lions that pose real danger to Daniel's physical life. But I think we need to see these are also symbolic of all the danger that God's people face. That's why if you can trust him in a den of lions, you can trust him anywhere. It's part of the point. You can trust him with your family upbringing, even a hard one. You can trust him with your marriage, even when it's difficult. You can trust him with your children, even when it's scary. You can trust him with your job and with your health and with your future and with whatever might be burdening you. And most importantly, you can trust him in final judgment. That's the real danger. So do you trust your heavenly father? Listen to Paul's words from prison awaiting execution. This is what he says. It says, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I think he has Daniel 6 in mind when he's writing this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are some of the last words we ever have of Paul, were those words. I think he had Daniel 6 in mind, that he looked back and saw how God had delivered him from temporary trials on earth, but then he realized, okay, that's just a taste of the deliverance that is coming from the other evils, the great evil he will face, namely the wrath of God. In Psalm 35, 17, our human enemies are called lions. They're compared to lions. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil is referred to as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. At the same time, in Revelation 5, 5, Jesus Christ is referred to as a lion, a lion who conquers, who overcomes. 
So yes, we need rescue from the lion seeking to harm us in this life, but we especially need to be rescued from the lion who judges in the next. That's the real lion's den, isn't it? Divine judgment. Hell. And I think God rescues us through Christ from all the present dangers and troubles to show us that he will rescue us from that future one, to bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. And he accomplishes all of that at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross, Jesus Christ went into the lion's den in our place. The lion became a lamb to be slaughtered for our sins. And then God's going to use all the other lions, the devil, the Pharisees, human beings, to accomplish it. And then that lamb was placed in a den where a stone was rolled over the mouth. And it was sealed so that none could open it. But when those who lamented his death came on the third day, they found the stone had been rolled away. The lamb had been raised in power. Victorious over all the other lions. Victorious over the devil. Victorious over his enemies. And so the devil who really thought, okay, we'll devour this lamb through death, in doing so provided the very means by which the Father would deliver the rest of us from death. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? We really do live in a den of lions. But our lion rules them all. He shuts the mouths of every other lion. What can they say? What can they do? Daniel belongs to Christ. Daniel entrusts himself to Christ. No harm comes to him just to give him a taste of that future deliverance to come. Of course, it's not true from everyone, for everyone in the story. Though Daniel's going to be spared, his accusers will not be. Look at verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces. So Jesus goes in, and not one of his bones is going to be broken. And he's going to be raised so that those who are in him can be spared and saved. Well, his enemies, all their bones will be broken. They will be devoured because the deliverance God gives to Daniel testifies to the glory of God, but as does the destruction of his enemies. The glory of God is on display both in his grace and in his wrath, in both forgiveness and in condemnation. Both heaven and hell will give glory to God forever. So the reason Daniel is delivered, I think the passage makes clear here, is is not because these lions are well fed. It's not because they're tame. The reason is the sovereign grace of God through Christ who shuts their mouths. And the enemies of Daniel rejected that grace, rejected that God who offers that grace, even sought to prohibit everyone else from trusting in that grace. They tried to force everyone to live under the law. And now they're going to die under the law. They're consumed even before their feet ever 
hit the ground. You don't want this to be you. Where on the day you face God who is the judge, the best you have to offer Him are your own righteous deeds. The best you have to offer Him is your own law-keeping. This is a story that's here as well to call all who are here who don't trust in Jesus Christ to repent and look to Him. To turn from sin. To turn from all your attempts to clean up. All your attempts to draw near to God in your own works. All your attempts to say, okay, I've, I've done enough. To throw all that aside and throw yourself entirely upon Jesus Christ. The only one who has died for your sins. The only one who has been raised because of his own righteousness. The only one who's seated at the right hand of the Father who will come in power. The only one who will deliver you on that day. So not just do you trust your heavenly Father, but do you trust your heavenly Father's way of salvation that he has provided for you through Jesus Christ. So much that you would renounce every other way and confess him as your Lord. Believe in him with all of your heart and be saved. We're called to trust the lion who became a lamb so that you would be saved from the wrath of the lamb. It's actually what it's called in the book of Revelation. That heaven and earth is going to flee from what? The wrath of the lamb. What an irony that is. When you think of lambs, do you think of wrath? Do you think of terror? Do you think of running away? Well, there's no lamb like this who's conquered death, who's conquered the devil, who is himself God. King Darius sees the contrast. And now it's going to close where he calls the whole world to worship the Lord. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth. Isn't that great? How God's he's going to use it to get word out to the whole world. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to no end, or to the, rather will be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So once more, as it happens a few times in the book of Daniel, he's going to use the poetic worship of this unbelieving king to deliver the entire book, or the point of the whole book. That there is a kingdom that will never fail. There is a kingdom that is coming. There is a king that reigns over all of it. There is a living God to whom we owe worship. And he sees through the testimony of Daniel that this is the one true God. So do you trust your heavenly Father? He really does care for you. I hope you know that. He really is good. And when He places you in dens of lions, His reasons are really wise. They're really perfect. They're really glorious. And it may not make any sense to you when you're there. It may not make any sense to you as you faithfully serve and faithfully serve and then that service is criminalized. And you go to jail, or you go to execution, or you go to affliction. And in those moments, that's when faith in this God matters most. When remembrance of these moments in biblical history, these moments in your own life, 
matter most. It's when the waves are crashing in that we need a sure and steady anchor. It's when the enemies are screaming and fighting that we need a strong tower, and it's in the den of lions that God proves His faithfulness to us. Because if you really think about it, the Lord delivers us from death every day, and He will do it every day until the last day when He'll deliver you through death to eternal life. If you're in Christ, the devil has no claim on you. If you're in Christ, death has no claim on you. The lion has conquered all the other lions. And praise God, he's your lion. He has shut their mouths, and only the Lord now has claim on you. And his claims are for your salvation. His claims are for you to be with him forever. He is a trustworthy deliverer. Let's pray. Well, Father, we praise you as the God who delivers is the God who so loved the world that you didn't spare your own son, but you delivered him up for us so that in trusting in him, in throwing ourselves upon him, in following him, in turning from every other way, we can be saved. If we would but confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead, which you did, we will be saved. And so we pray that you would use these words of Daniel 6 to comfort our hearts, to strengthen our faith, to help us to hold fast in an evil day, to protect us from anxiety and fear, to protect us from despair and discouragement, to help us boast in Christ who was raised for our salvation, to help us look to him who reigns, Help us long for Him who will come. And when He comes, He will deliver us from every lion and for all time. Praise You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.